It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Times Business Podcast. I'm Robert Miller. I'm joined in the studio by Deirdre Hipwell, the Times Retail Editor, and Marcus LaRue, our trade correspondent, and on the line from Berlin by David Charter, the Times correspondent in Germany, and I should add the author of a recently published book, What Has the EU Ever Done for Us? More about that later. Welcome to you all. Thanks for being here. Uh, David, over there in Berlin, let me start with you. Let's just listen to what Theresa May said on her recent visit to France about the EU and Brexit talks. I think there is a unity of purpose among among people in the United Kingdom. It's a unity of purpose, uh, having voted to leave the EU, that their government gets on with that and makes a success of it. And we are committed to developing a deep and special partnership with the EU. We want the EU to continue to remain strong uh, and we want to continue to cooperate. Uh, we want to develop that deep and special partnership on matters relating to trade. But as we've heard, the issues we discussed tonight on security are also issues on which it's important for us to cooperate in the future. And I believe that with uh, the good process that has been set out by the EU for those negotiations, which start, as I have said, next week, and with the willingness and intent on both sides to build that future partnership, then we will see an arrangement for Brexit that will be in the interests not just of the United Kingdom, but of the remaining 27 member states of the European Union. Well, David, I imagine that was uh, closely followed in Berlin. I mean, what, what, what's the view from there? Well, to be honest, the view in Berlin, first of all, about the election was uh, utter bemusement. Uh, Angela Merkel had told um, aides that she didn't see any reason to call the election. She thought it was a big risk. Uh, her view was that you should only go to the country if it was absolutely necessary and unavoidable. And to add to that... They were rather annoyed that Theresa May had already declared the Article 50 process uh, to start the two years of talks and then, just a few days later, decided that she should have a general election, thus wasting possible time to prepare for the talks and to start them. So we're getting off on the wrong foot with uh, Berlin, who has been the capital most courted by Britain as, a, as an ally in the talks. But time after time... I'm afraid the feeling in the in the chancellery and those close to Merkel is that they they're mystified quite often by the British stance and, and, and annoyed by it. I mean, when Theresa May came to Berlin uh, on her initial visit as prime minister, she tried to persuade Angela Merkel to come out unilaterally and to support the rights of citizens. 
And Merkel explained that while she, of course, wanted to preserve the rights of citizens, there was no way she was doing anything unilaterally. She'd agreed a European position. And that remains the position in Berlin. They're, they're fully behind Barnier, the chief negotiator. Uh, they're very concerned about citizens' rights above probably the three, the, the three main topics for the opening of the talks. But they really just want to get on with it, as does, as does Barnier in, in Brussels. I imagine it, it does look like quite a debacle from, from Berlin's perspective, David. But I suppose the one, the one part of the, the rationale for the election, which still possibly stands, I suppose, is that it gives that you know couple of years of extra wiggle room post-Article 15 negotiations for a transition to something that Theresa May can sell to a Brexit-supporting public and, and and that that reason i suppose is, is at least is still still intact i guess that's right marcus but the, the the feeling in berlin was was always that there was going to be the need for a lengthy transition period i mean very soon after the referendum results uh, figures in berlin were saying that the world well, that the british are going to need a five or ten year transition period it's just obvious you can't do a, a, this full deep comprehensive trade deal in a matter of months um, it's absurd because we don't know what the new British agricultural policy is and neither do the British, for example. And that has to be sorted before you can even think about talking uh, a, a trade deal. I mean, it's to, 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 the, to, to the Germans, it's, it's been very strange to watch these absurd positions being pushed by Theresa May that we should start the talks on trade at the same time as the exit deal when Britain hasn't got a position on so many things like the customs union agricultural policy, regional policy, fish policy, I mean, you name it, Britain hasn't got any of it. And of course, the great complication is that these aren't just areas that are tied up in, in, in imponderable knots themselves. They're also tied up with each other and the sequence with which you try to untie them will affect the solutions um, applied to the others. So, I mean, you know, you mentioned agriculture. Agriculture will be a big driver, determining factor of what, what happens in Ireland, which in turn will be a big factor behind what what kind of trade and customs arrangements we come to with the, with the EU. And there's still this meta argument between Brussels and London between how the negotiations are to even are to even begin. So we're we haven't even decided how we're going to set about untangling all of these interlocking tangles and the clock's ticking. So I, I'm sort of casting around here for 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 a silver lining, David. I'm not sure if you can if you can. You the, the, the one thing that the one silver lining that um, is also a relief in a way to some in Berlin is that there's a German election coming up in September. And nothing could really be decided before that, um, because um, they need the they need the, the new Bundestag to be able to sign off on everything after September the 24th. And forming a government in in Germany always takes a while. So it, effectively, they won't really have a new government in place before November December. I mean, we all know. I think we we're pretty confident and that Merkel will be coming back. It's just a case of who she's with, whether it's with the Social Democrats who are very strongly pro-European and would be even tougher on Brexit than Merkel would be, or with a, with a smaller party such as the uh, Liberal Party here, which is a free market, more right-wing Liberal Party, which should, might be a bit more generous towards trading rights for Britain that have been called for in Brussels. So that, that, could, that could have an effect uh, on, on the stance of the German government and um, is worth waiting for. Uh, David, I don't know all the ins and outs of like Article 50, but that two-year deadline, I mean, is that fixed or could that, or maybe Marcus might even know, could that be extended? Because it seems, you yes, know, obviously we've extended. had election, Germany's got an election coming. I mean, it seems ridiculous to think it can all be done in two years. 
Yes, it can be extended by a unanimous vote of all participants. Um, of course, people feel that this might be unlikely because it then runs into the, the next European Parliament elections, which are in the June of 2019. And that was something the European Parliament, who, which is a participant, is very much against. It doesn't want its uh, Brexit Article 50 talks hanging over. For example, what do you do about having British members of the European Parliament well, the, and, and, and other considerations of British Commissioner and all the rest of it if we're still formally members yet trying to negotiate a withdrawal? So the European Parliament, at least, possibly Paris as well, really doesn't want to go beyond two years. They'd rather have a transitional arrangement where Britain leaves and then carries on whatever other negotiations are needed on the new relationship afterwards. And apart from the debacle of Theresa May calling this election when she didn't really need to, is her reputation for being bloody difficult the, you know, the same in Europe as it is in, in the UK? I mean, what would have been the ideal solution, um, I guess, from Germany's point of view, from the election that happened? I mean, presumably this is not an ideal solution where we've got a weakened Tory party in a, you know, kind of a hodgepodge coalition. Well, you know, the Germans are still trying to work out what it means, as we as we all are, in fact, because coalition government is a fact of life in in every other European country. Um, that's just the way they were. The governments have been set up in many of them after the Second World War to sort of prevent the rise of strong uh, authoritarian leaders. But the, the view of Theresa May's performance is uh, pretty low not least because she appointed Boris Johnson as foreign secretary and reappointed him, and he is not held in high esteem in Berlin. I mean, the former foreign minister told his staff that he didn't want, ever want to be in the same room with him unless it was absolutely necessary, for example. I imagine many people so, feel that way. <laughs> um, it, yes, it's not, it's not been, we're not covering ourselves in glory, um, in the, in the, in, certainly in Berlin at the moment. It's, it is a struggle. What I was going to say, though, I mean, Deirdre, you first perhaps, this is damaging consumer confidence. We've seen uh, recent figures, retail sales, people are holding on. This has the potential to be far more serious as unravels, doesn't it? I mean, we've been talking about a two-year time frame. If it went on, as, as, as you and David were saying, maybe for five years, then we've got a real problem on our hands, haven't we? Absolutely. Well, there's just a real sense that, you know, the government is just politicking and they're all in their own little world having general elections. We've got Brexit coming up. Um, who knows what's going to happen in the Tory party going forward? And I, I read an analyst note saying today that somebody needs to get a hold of what's happening in the economy. And things are starting to look a bit um, worrying in terms of you know, new um, orders for cars. The housing market seems very uncertain at the moment. I mean, you still have house builders and estate agents saying things are fine. But to be honest, the property industry is by its nature optimistic and it tends to talk up the market until it's crashing. And then they're like, oh, yeah, the market's crashing. So I think you have to look at house sales, transactions numbers, and they have been very volatile in the past few months. And just personally, I, I was speaking to an estate agent recently about my own flat and he was saying that the market was really quiet and that they were struggling. So that's never a good sign. And then within the consumer space itself, we, you know, this week we've just had a profit warning from DS, DFS, the furniture retailer, and that's obviously big ticket items. And they've been a very solid performer for the past two, three years. And, the, the, you know, the noise coming out from them is that, consumers are uncertain and so they are delaying making big ticket items obviously you know buying your three-piece sofa you don't need to buy it so you won't buy it if you're feeling uncertain and that's a worrying sign yes i mean the, the, the sectors you've just mentioned you've got uh, the retail the house builders uh, those are 
followed very closely by a lot of investors. And I mean, sort of spreading it out, Marcus, looking at, say, the miners, a big proportion of the FTSE 100 and even part of the 250 as well. I mean, would you be equally cautious or are there other mitigating factors, say, within the broader commodity sector? I, I think there are mitigating factors. I mean, obviously, most of the, you know, Deirdre was painting a, a, a domestic picture where where the outlook is the outlook is un, uncertain and it's kind of fascinating actually her point about i think we often get caught up on on house on, on in the housing market looking at prices which obviously you know prices will hold up as long as you don't have conditions that give rise to, to people being forced sellers so that the transactions is actually probably the metric to be looking at there on on miners you know it, it, it's a global it's a global business it has nothing to do with the british the british economy except insofar as some of these companies happen to be headquartered in london um some of them got a bit of a lift with 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 the, you know the trump trade when people were betting that this trillion dollar infrastructure plan that steve bannon was plotting was actually going to happen anytime soon um um when clearly uh that's a little bit further down a very shambolic domestic agenda um, in the state. So, so, but aside from that, you know, China's not looking like the the time bomb that it was a couple of years ago, and that's the main engine of growth for 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 all commodities. Um, um, so, I, 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 I'm I'm cautiously optimistic on the miners' front from the from from say an investment point of view. They're also psychologically scarred by by the fallout of the last um you know the, the petering out of the super cycle as it's known you know this sort of unprecedented step change in the chinese appetite for raw, raw materials that they're all showing their investors how well behaved they are and how cautious they are with with putting down investment and and borrowing billions to uh, to build new new mines that means that actually quite a lot of them will be generating cash for the next couple of years and that will sow the seeds potentially for um Rising prices, deficits in certain commodities like copper a few years down the line, perhaps. And it'll be, you know, the people that have the the low risk, low cost expansion options in their back pocket that'll, that'll stand to benefit from it. I, I wouldn't advise everybody to, to throw their life savings into, into the mining industry, but there are definitely selective areas with high quality businesses. That I think you could probably have a, have a look at if you, like me, believe that the global the wheels aren't about to come off the global economy, um, you know, and there are a few clouds on the horizon, not least protectionism and what Trump might get up to on on um, on his trade agenda. I was going to say, David, over there in Berlin, I mean, we've been talking very much domestic and European politics, but of course, there is this looming presence of uh, Donald Trump, President Trump over us all. What's the situation in Germany in, in view of how these uh, might proceed? That's a very good question, Robert, because we have a G20 summit coming up next month in Hamburg. Uh, Merkel is the host President Trump has said he will attend for the US. And Merkel was very much hoping that this G20 would give a renewed emphasis to uh, global trade with the uh, following the sort of hiatus that followed the election of Trump with putting a break on the the Trans-Pacific deal that Obama negotiated and also the EU-US trade deal. And As things have transpired, Merkel was initially hopeful that she personally could talk to Donald Trump and talk him round to the benefits of globalization and more open trading. But she's coming rapidly to the conclusion that this is going to be impossible. She's tried various methods. She's gone to Washington and met him herself. Uh, She's invited Ivanka Trump over and um, become very friendly with her. 
but it's, it's not working. And of course, after the G7, when Trump pulled, out, pulled America out of the Paris Climate Accords, it became obvious that Trump was prepared to go through with his more isolationist policies. So what we've got is an intriguing prospect of a G20 summit where they always like to issue a, uh, a communique at the end, and the communique traditionally is always unanimous, um, where the, the primary goals of Angela Merkel, as, as, as I say, is reviving a sort of liberal approach to trade, also pushing for climate progress, may have to be either left out of the communique or put into a, a communique that excludes the United States. And that's coming up in the first, first week of July. And it's, it's pretty significant, isn't it, David, that even this fairly undemanding language that, that, that's contained in these communiques can't be signed up to by, um, by, by, by the US representatives. Um, you know, that, that's very bland statements about the benefits of global trade and the, 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 the need to combat climate change are, are beyond the, seem to be beyond, beyond the pale for, um, for, for, the, for the Trump regime. And we've got, I mean, some of the, the accounts from the behind the scenes that we're reading from the American press about how Trump has uh, ignored the advice of, say, Rex Tillerson or the more globally minded moderates um, in his camp, say, Gary Cohn, to, uh, you know, on, on NATO, on, on climate, on trade, are fairly illuminating. That this, this little civil war in the Trump White House between the economic nationalists and the, the globalists isn't, is certainly not one. And if you look actually at the, the weeds of, of, of his trade policy, the sort of the less you mentioned TPP and, and, and TTIP and obviously NAFTA is a big deal, these big plurilateral trading deals, but less noticed is, is the, the, the sort of more humdrum area of trade defence. And if you look there, what the US trade representative has been up to recently, the signs aren't great for world trade generally. They're looking at ways of getting uh, protection for the steel industry through the, door, through, the, through the door using a legislative method designed for national security purposes. And for the first time in more than a decade, they're using a particularly draconian provision under WTO rules called safe, uh, safeguarding uh, provisions. Um, with a view to eventually protect domestic producers against imports of washing machine components and solar panels. So so not the sort of thing that you'll see on the front pages, um, but these are levers that American administrations have refrained from pulling on for a long, long time. And any any suggestion that, that America will take take the moral high ground on trade or will take a sort of free trade leadership position are are you know, so far out the window, they're they're already out of sight. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the thing, I mean, Germany's found itself right in the front line of this argument because of Trump's um, well-documented hostility to the fact Germany has an enormous uh, trade surplus uh, with the US. He only sees, of course, BMWs and Mercedes driving up and down Fifth Avenue and uh, wants to um, protect the German car industry with, with massive border tariffs on German cars made in Mexico without realising that the Germany's BMW plant uh, in America is, is the highest um, export uh, earning automobile production facility in America. And it's, it's coming to a head. I mean, Merkel didn't want to have this clash. She didn't want to have to face down Trump because she's extremely worried that uh, if she does, he will follow through with his threats to put on tariffs and to make it more difficult for Germany to 
sell its goods to, to, the, to the US. But she finds herself in this position because of a, the G20, certainly Merkel's last go at being in, in this uh, enormous international spotlight. Uh, it falls to her kind of accidentally to try and keep the international show on the road. All right, well, uh, lots to watch out for there. Thank you all very much. And that's it for now. But uh, don't forget, watch out for a financial update in the coming days from Hornby. Uh, and you'll find that and all the other news and analysis online on your phone, tablet, and, of course, in the paper. If you are a subscriber, then don't forget to sign up to our daily morning and lunchtime business bulletins from Richard Fletcher. And if you'd like to become a subscriber, just go to thetimes.co.uk. Uh, if you want to hear us weekly, you can subscribe through iTunes and please do feel free to post your comments. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, my thanks to Deirdre Hipwell and Marcus Leroux and, of course, to David Charter in Berlin. And his book, What Has the EU Ever Done for Us?, is published by Biteback Publishing. I just noticed, uh, by the way, David, there was a very good Amazon review that says it simply sets out the facts to enable you to make up your own mind. I can't think of a better review. Anyway, they're all on Twitter. What we're trying to do, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Well done indeed. So they're all on Twitter. Do follow them. And uh, thanks for listening. Please join us again next time. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.